Good to be with you this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, you have gathered your people together to hear your word, to be taught by your spirit as you continue to transform us into the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was probably the second or third week of shelter in place here in Minnesota. The apartment complex where we live had turned into a bit of a ghost town. All shared spaces were shut down. The fitness center, the rooftop, the club room, the outdoor living space, the courtyard, including the grills. There was no one at the front desk to smile and greet us. I had been at the church that morning to do a few things and gather up some materials. It too was, and still is, far too quiet. I was coming home for lunch. It was a nice sunny day, so I parked in the front rather than going down into the parking garage. I used my key fob to get in the front door, and to my surprise, there was this older gentleman sitting right there in the lobby. Ah, life! Before all this, this man and I had exchanged pleasant greetings in the parking garage several times. I asked him how he was doing, and he said, fine. But then he said that his wife, who resides in a nearby nursing facility, has been there in lockdown, and he hasn't seen her for weeks. It was hard. I empathized. We talked a bit more, and then I continued toward the elevator. It opened, and I was about to board it for the 10th floor when there was this voice in my head that said, why didn't you pray for him? I knew why. I didn't need to answer the question. This task-oriented, achievement-based pastor needed to do the next thing, even if it was just lunch. The elevator door shut. I turned around and walked back and asked him if I could pray for him and his wife. Later, I realized that the voice in my head was not my most altruistic self talking to my to-do list self. It was the Holy Spirit nudging me. Last Sunday, Pastor Petey introduced our four-part series that lifts up the Holy Spirit of God. He reminded us of this biblical truth. The Holy Spirit is the one who tethers us to the love of Jesus. If you missed it, I encourage you to consider watching the podcast on our website as it sets the stage well for this series. Now, if you've read much of the Bible at all or attended church very often, we know there is such a thing as the Holy Spirit. But if we're honest, many Christians, for many of us, the Trinitarian view that we hold lives itself out like this. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Now, there's nothing wrong with giving the Bible high marks, for it's in its pages that we discover over and over again who God is, how much he loves, and who we are in relation to him, and much, much more. I highly recommend it to you. But it is the author of God's word, the very spirit of the living God, that not only tethers us to the love of Jesus, but is the one who transforms us into the people God has always intended us to be. And that means individually as well as corporately. It is the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live in such a way that it puts a smile on God's face. So why is it then, 
other than maybe Pentecostal and charismatic parts of the faith, that in many circles of the Christian faith, we have put the Holy Spirit kind of in the back seat or maybe even the glove department or worse yet, in the trunk. We want him along for the ride, mind you, and of course, close enough to pull him out when we need him. So why is it that we don't understand or think about the Holy Spirit as much as maybe we should? Furthermore, this is part of the problem, is due to the very nature of the Holy Spirit to begin with. See, the Holy Spirit's main job is to point to Jesus. Jesus then, in turn, brings glory to the Father. But we even find the Father himself pointing to his Son. Remember, when the Spirit descends on Jesus at his baptism, it's the Father that says from heaven, this is my Son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. So while the Holy Spirit is an equal person in the one and true and living God, he, rather than drawing attention to himself, shines a spotlight on the one who really is a big deal, Jesus. Thus, if we don't take time to look at the scriptures that instruct us about the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit can remain a bit elusive, if not in our experience, certainly in our understanding. In a moment, we're going to look at Galatians 5. That's where we find that passage of the fruit of the Spirit. If you'd like have a Bible nearby, you might want to open it up. I'm going to show some scriptures along here, but they may not be up there long enough for you that like to dwell on it. But first, I want to take a quick, quick stop to one of my all-time favorite verses. In Jesus' last post-resurrection appearance, right before he sends into the heavens, he gives his great commission once again, but in a fresh way, with both great clarity and bold confidence. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Note, Jesus is not offering an optional suggestion or even extending a warm invitation. Instead, he is making an audacious proclamation as to what the Holy Spirit will do. The Spirit of God empowers us to be his witnesses in the entire globe. And that is not just about what we say, but it is also about how we live. The Spirit will empower God's people to be his witnesses anywhere and everywhere. And these witnesses will tell the good news as well as be the good news. It's both what we say and what we do. For both have equal import. It's like two wings on a plane. What we say and what we do. Seriously, have you ever seen a one-winged plane Fly well? See, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit is our Heavenly Father's chosen and only way for his people to live as Jesus desires. Pastor Melissa Shazer will speak more about the Spirit sending us with the gospel in a couple weeks, but Galatians 5 speaks to the Spirit's transforming work. Here, Paul contrasts living in the Spirit with living in the flesh. Galatians 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Living in and by the Spirit is in stark contrast 
to living in and by the flesh. They are antithetical. You can't do one and still do the other. Now, that doesn't mean we can't go back and forth between the two because we do that, if we're honest, but they are not compatible. One results in metaphorically chewing each other up, bringing destruction to relationships. The other results in loving others deeply, fully. One comes from being bound up in and by the law. The other flows freely by giving free reign to the Holy Spirit. Flesh for Paul should not be seen as something that is merely physical. It encompasses life that is far more pervasive than that. And in essence, it is living as if the Holy Spirit does not reside in us and is even in the vicinity. Paul says in verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And then he gives a list. Not meant to be exhaustive. These are just a few. They're representative kinds of attitudes and behaviors that accompany living in the flesh. Immorality, idolatry, discord, selfish ambition, envy, drunkenness. And the list goes on and on and on to include things that even Paul doesn't list there. You know, I remember when I first came to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit was talking up a storm, or maybe I was just listening more intently. I found that when temptation came my way, sometimes I'd give in. But much of the time, as I was listening to the Spirit and kind of walking in the Spirit in a really new and profound way, I would seek God's help And rather than that temptation feeling like a gorilla had me in a headlock, it was much more like a fly on my shoulder. Now, I'm not saying that's how it always was or even is in the case today, but I am saying that when we're living in the Spirit, there is an inexplicable power to joyfully resist temptation, not perfectly, but that is far greater than anything we can do in our own strength. While living in the flesh leads us into a multitude of sins, living life in the power of the Spirit bears fruit. That is winsome. And let's be honest, at the same time, it can make others feel uncomfortable. For it is a life that is becoming more and more like Christ Jesus. Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, beyond the many great stories in the Bible, this scripture is probably one of the most used passages in Christian children's ministry. For it's a great list of character traits that any parent or teacher would like children to learn. Not here at CPC, mind you, but many times I've seen this taught merely as attitudes and actions, a kind of behavior modification, a heart check course correction. For who doesn't want children to live out these great virtues? But often, what can be missed in children's ministry, as well as in adult discipleship, is that character development, apart from the Holy Spirit's taking up residence in one's life, is nothing more than a false substitute for the real thing. Note the emphasis of the entire passage is not about not doing the wrong things, the deeds of the flesh, and instead doing the right things, the fruit of the Spirit. Instead, it's all about the Spirit's transforming presence. Verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit. Or I like how the NLT puts it. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse eight, since we live by the Spirit, 
let us keep step with the Spirit, putting it all together, walk by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Eugene Peterson's message is quite helpful here. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. Fresh fruit. Quite a sight. Delicious. Sweet. Dessert that is good for you. Okay, it's not chocolate, but it's still quite tasty. What's amazing is that fruit begins with flowers. Also quite a sight. Beautiful. Fragrant. Have you ever walked through the orchards taking time to listen to the trees as they go through the process of producing fruit? Serious, have you? Well, imagine with me for a few moments. It's early in the morning, there's dew on the ground, the sun is rising, and there you are walking, watching, waiting, listening for the fruit to be born. The birds are singing, a breeze blowing through the branches, and you hear them sway ever so slightly. And then you hear it, faint at first. The trees begin whispering, time to make the fruit, time to make the fruit, time to make the fruit, time to make the fruit. And then you hear trees in the next row over joining in song of sorts in harmony. You think, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And the excitement builds, time to make the fruit, I think I can, I think I can, time to make the fruit, I think I can, I think I can. And then, as if like popcorn, you hear the trees and the branches groaning, whoa, and out pops the fruit, right? Is that how it goes? No, of course not. Trees do not strive to grow fruit. They are simply designed by God to do so. All they need is healthy seed, some good soil, rain and sunshine, some bees to cross-pollinate the right temperatures, and the fruit comes. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul explains that while some, plants, some plant the seeds of the gospel and others come along and water that seed, it is God that makes things grow, and it is by the Holy Spirit that he does such in us. The fruit of the Spirit are grown into us as we lean into an ongoing, vibrant relationship with Christ Jesus by listening to, leaning in, walking with, and living in the spirit that has taken up residence inside of us. We do not obtain these virtuous character traits by hard work any more than fruit trees bear an abundant harvest. God grows both. And we do not eliminate the various vices that are common to all people by mere grit and grimace. The Holy Spirit hints, nudges, and if needed, maybe gives us a quick, swift kick, reminding us of the truth. Jesus tells us in John 14, 16, the Father will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And a few verses later, verse 26, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I said to you. Jesus promises it, the Holy Spirit will deliver it, we can count on it. See, it's never been about being 
good rule keepers. Instead, it's about being attentive to the Spirit of God that is with you and me, resides within you and me, and desires to nudge us along, transforming us to become the man or woman God has always intended us to be. And that is why we should want the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to live out our destiny before God. Scott McKnight puts it this way, if there's a secret to experiencing the fullness of the Christian life, it is this. We need the Spirit to empower us to live as God wants us to live. In fact, we cannot live the Christian life until we are open to the Spirit. See, the truth of the matter is this. The transforming power of the Holy Spirit is God's chosen and only way to live as Jesus desires. You know, the man in the lobby of our apartment complex was surprised when I came back and offered to pray. He was even more surprised when I clarified and said I meant to pray right here, right now, out loud in front of God and everybody. Oh, did I tell you it was kind of like a ghost town, right? It's just us. But after praying for his wife and himself, he looked at me with those deep blue eyes and with gratitude he said, I owe you one. I assured him he didn't. And as I walked away, I thank God for the Holy Spirit's nudge. Why is it that we don't, or I'll just own it, why is it that I don't listen to the Spirit's nudge more? Oh, we're busy with our agendas, or even with the Lord's work as we understand it. But I think what is truer is that we don't expect Him to nudge us. Or worse yet, in our flesh, we don't want Him to nudge us because then we'd have to do something with it. Last week, Petey encouraged us to plan our day and week by setting reminders on our phone for times when we think it would be helpful to pray, come Holy Spirit. This week, I want to encourage you to be open to his nudge and then act on it. See, I've come to believe, although I too often forget, that as a believer, follower, and lover of Christ Jesus, the Spirit of God not only desires to nudge us, but is doing it all the time. The question is, are we listening? Steve Brown taught one of my doctoral classes. He's an author and founder of Key Life Network and hosts a national radio show out of Biscayne, Florida. If you want an easy read on the Holy Spirit that is theologically sound with humor interspersed, I recommend the book to you. Unfortunately, because it was written in the, in the late 1990s, the, our bookstore is not able to order it, but I did look on Amazon and there are some copies there if you're interested. You know, I may have already told you about this, this guy, Steve Brown. He's got a great, deep voice. I just love listening to him. But I remember the very final paper I wrote for him, he wrote on there, he gave me an A. I don't know what that was about. He gave me an A and he wrote on there, Ron, you should write a book someday. I thought he was very good at discerning gifts, but I'm not so sure anymore. But I think the reason he read, said that is because the way he writes is probably how I would write. It's an everyday, easy to read style, a bit colloquial. But this one sentence to me sums up a lot on how the Holy Spirit nudges. He says this, you take the first step, the Holy Spirit will take the next step. And by the time you get to the third step, you will know that it was the Holy Spirit who took the first step. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to this earth to die on the cross 
so that we could have forgiveness of sins and then be resurrected from the dead so that we could be assured of eternal life. And then thank you, Lord Jesus, for sending the Holy Spirit to this earth to reside with those people whom you've called to be your own through faith. Let us listen to his nudge. Let us act on his nudge. And let us give you thanks and glory when we see the fruit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things. Amen.